Wonderful. Good afternoon to you all. It's great to be with you here. I think this is, my wife believes I've been here before, but I don't recognize it. So I think this is the first time I've been here, although I've learned not to argue with her. So maybe I have been here before, um, but I'm glad we're not meeting at the usual building. And we are here because it means your congregation is growing. You're reaching people for Jesus. The building's being extended and it's all really exciting. So it's great to be with you today. Um, we're going to look today at 1 John 2. Uh, 15 to 17. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. If you've got your phones, please swipe there or whatever you do, and we'll get to that shortly. Uh, but to begin with, let me just briefly say something about 1 John as a letter, because I know we're not in the middle of a series or anything in 1 John. So I'll just say something about it just to put our text today in its context where it sits. So essentially, 1 John, is a, it's a letter that's made up of tests, okay? Not tests that you've got to pass to be a Christian, but litmus test, a litmus test, really. Think of it like that, which lay out the evidence for true Christianity. Tests which show us what the life of somebody living in a genuine relationship with God will look like. It is a massively helpful letter for the body of Christ. This is a letter that I've used many times in pastoral situations where I've held it up as a mirror to Christians who lack assurance of salvation, Christians who are anxious about whether or not they've truly believed in Jesus. And we can hold one John up against their lives and we can say, look, there is evidence in your life that Jesus Christ dwells within you. We have God's point of view in this letter about you. We can see that you truly are in the Lord. On the other hand, sometimes, not as often, but sometimes I've had to hold it up as a warning to those who name the name of Jesus but lack the kind of spiritual fruit that, the, that Jesus and the apostles say will be present in a person's life if they're truly saved. So this letter can be used to bring both comfort and conviction in the life of a Christian or someone who believes they're a Christian at the same time. Much of the letter speaks about the evidence of love in a positive sense. Love for God and love for each other being visible in the life of a true Christian. However, the letter also speaks about love from the opposite angle. The kind of love that God doesn't expect to see in our lives if we are truly in Christ. The kind of love that God says will not be present in our lives if our faith in Jesus is genuine. And that's what I would like us to focus on today. It's, it's very common in our generation to hear messages on loving God and those around us, and rightly so. We need to hear those messages. But we also need to hear what God calls us to refrain from loving. Such is the clarion call from the world that the highest virtue is to love and to accept all things unconditionally. We need to hear from the Lord on that. You're going to find out that that's not what God expects from his people. So let's read 1 John 2. 15 to 17 together and see what this thing is, thing is that must that not must and, not, will, and not will not be loved by, by a genuine, a genuine follower, follower of Jesus. Of Jesus. The Apostle John, the Apostle says, John this. says this, do not, do love, not the world love the world or the things, or the things in, the world. in the world. 
If anyone, if loves, anyone the world, loves the world, the love, the of, love the father of the Father is not, is not in, him. in him. For all that, For is, all in that is in the world, in the, world the desires, the desires of, the flesh, of the flesh and the desires, and the desires of, the eyes, of the eyes and the pride, and the pride of, life of life is not from, is the, not father, from the Father, but is from, but the, world. Is from the world. And the world, and the world is, passing is passing away along, along with its desires. With its desires. But, but whoever, whoever does the will, does of, the God will of God Abides, abides forever, forever. So you see, for, so you a, see, Christian, for a Christian, it's love, it's for, the love world. for the world. It cannot, it cannot, and must and not, must not exist, exist in our hearts. In our hearts. John says John in, says verse, in 15, verse 15, "Do, do not, not love, love the, world, the world, or the things, or the things in, in the world, the world." So the first thing, so the first thing, understand, to understand this afternoon. This afternoon is what he, is means, what he means by the, by world. the world. What is the what thing is the that he's thing calling, that he's us, calling us, not us not to love? To love. And first, before we come, before we come, come to what it, come means, what it means, there's actually a couple actually of things, things that it doesn't mean. mean. So let's so begin there. Begin what there, doesn't, what he doesn't, doesn't he mean? When he says, when he do, says not do not love the world, of course, he's, of course not, he's not talking about, talking the, about creation. the creation, the physical, physical planet that we live, that we live on, with all of its, all beauty, of its beauty of plants, plants and trees, and trees and animals and mountains and, and glaciers and sunsets and, sunsets and, all, of and all, all of the wonder of God's, of hand. God's hand. It's, it's a, natural a natural and a God-given God thing, God thing to walk, to walk up, up into the countryside or to drive up into the countryside as you might do and be struck by the sheer wonder of what God has made. It's normal for our hearts heart to, to be exhilarated, exhilarated by, that. by that and so, and so they, should they should be some false some religions, religions take, take their love, their love of, creation of creation too far, too far. and of course and they, of course end, they up end up worshipping the elements we're not to do that but it's completely natural to be awestruck and thankful for all that God has made Psalm 19 sums up how a Christian should relate to the world in the sense of the physical created order David says the heavens, the heavens declare, declare the, glory the glory of God. Of God. The, skies the skies proclaim the work, the work of, his hands. of his hands. Day after day, day they pour they forth, forth speech. speech. Night, night after, after night, night they reveal, they reveal knowledge. knowledge. So we can so have, we can a, have love a love for the creation. For the creation. But we love but it we love because, because it's, a lens it's a lens through which, through which we, see we see God. God. One of my one favorite, of my favorite songs, songs to sing, and I actually like the actually few like of the songs, the that, we songs sung that we sung this afternoon, but one of my other favorite songs is a song is a called You're Beautiful. beautiful. I'm, I'm not going to sing it, but maybe you've heard of that one before. And one of the verses in that song says this. It says, I see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens to the light of the day. I look, I up, look to up to the sky and say, and say you're, you're beautiful. beautiful. And that's it. And that's we look, it. At, the we look at the creation and we see, and we the, see creator. the creator. And love and for love him, for is, him kindled is kindled within our hearts. Within our hearts. Romans, Romans 1 also, 1 says, also that says that what through what God has made, his invisible qualities, qualities can, be seen. can be seen. So you go, so you for, go a for a walk along, along the beach, you go up the hills, the hills, you even go to the local the park, park where you just see the birds and the trees, and you feel closer to God, and it's right that you should, because God is seen in the things that he has made. So the Apostle John is not calling us to refrain from loving the world in the sense of its physical creation. Another way the Bible speaks about the world 
world is to describe, is to describe the, people the people who inhabit, who inhabit it. it. The population, the population of, the world. of the world, people from, people every, from nation. every nation, people, people of, all ages. of all ages, people who, people subscribe, who subscribe to different, different religions. religions. Together, Together everyone, everyone made in God's, in God's image, image is known, is known in, the in the scriptures as, as the, world. the world. And of course, and of course John, John isn't, isn't, isn't saying here, here that we're not that to, we're love, not the to love the people. In the, world. in the world. Probably the, Probably most, the famous most famous scripture, scripture in the Bible, in the Bible speaks, speaks about God, about loving, God the loving the world. In that sense. In that sense. John 3, John 16, 3 16, for God so loved so the, the world. world that he gave that his, he only, gave his son, only son that whoever, that believes, whoever in believes in him should not, should perish, not perish but have, but have eternal, eternal life. life. God would, God not, would demonstrate not demonstrate his, his sacrificial, sacrificial love, love for the world and then call, and then his, call people his people to do the opposite. Do the opposite. Jesus, Jesus teaches, us teaches us that we're to love the church, church and we're to and we're even, love even love our enemies, our enemies. The church, the church, our neighbors, our, neighbors, our, enemies. our enemies. We're not to, we're excuse, not to excuse ourselves, ourselves from, loving from loving anybody because of, anything, because of anything, to anything to do with them, them, with them or to do, or with, to their do with their background. It's really important, it's really important as Christians, as Christians we hear this, you might think, well, you're teaching us to eggs, we know this, well, it's not always practiced among the body of Christ. It's really important that we love everybody, regardless of their background, regardless of what they do, regardless of what they believe, regardless of what their world view is. So it's no contradiction here with John when he says, don't love the world, other things in the world. He's not talking about how we treat others. He's not saying love Christians, but don't love atheists, don't love agnostics, don't love people of other faiths. He's not, he's giving, not us giving us an excuse here. He's not giving, he's not us, giving us an out, out to refrain, to refrain from, loving from loving people because we disagree, because we disagree with their religious views or their lifestyle. Or their lifestyle. That, is that is not what he means. What he means. We're, to love We're to love all people in the way that we treat them, in the way that we serve them. So what does he mean, so what does he mean when he says, do, he not, says love do not love the world or the things in the world? Well, the clue is in verse 16. In that sense, that John sense, breaks, John down, breaks what down what he means by the world. By the world. He gives us, he gives the, us definition the definition of what, of constitutes, what constitutes the world, the world in, the in the context of this command. Of this command. He, talks he talks about three things. Three things. The lust, of the, the lust flesh, of the flesh, the lust of the, the, lust of the eyes, and the pride, and of, the life. pride of life. So he's talking, so he's talking about, about the values, values of the world. Of the world. It's really it's really important, important you see that. You see the values, values of, the world. of the world. He's talking, he's about, talking what about what drives people, people who have no who have relationship, relationship with, God. with God. He's talking, he's about, talking about, their about their goals. He's talking, he's talking about the things, about the things they, aspire they aspire to have or the people, or the people they aspire, they aspire to, be. to be. He's talking, he's talking about, about the things that the world finds its purpose in. He's talking about what makes the world go round. You could put it like that. John is saying that a Christian is not to see, not those, to see those, desires, those desires, those motivations, those motivations or, those or those goals as something, something which is legitimate, legitimate to hold, to hold in, our hearts, in our hearts or to aspire, or to aspire towards. towards. Now, John, now John, he's not, he's the, only not the only one who said who this. Said there, this. Were others, there were others who said it in the scriptures. scriptures. James, James, the brother of the Jesus, brother of he's, Jesus one. he's one. He wrote to the he church, to the and, church told them, and he told them, do not do be friends, not be friends with, the with the world. He said, if you're a, a friend of the world, of the world you are an, you enemy, are an enemy of God. Of God. Pretty, stark Pretty stark thing to say. Thing to say. In chapter, in chapter one, James, James also said that the Christian shouldn't be stained, stained by, the, by world. the world, meaning there shouldn't, there shouldn't be an ounce of the world's, of the world's ways, ways, the world's value, the world's, the world's system, system within us. Within us. If, worldly if worldly ways, ways exist, exist within, us, within us, we're polluted, we're polluted because we've because been called, we've been to, be called to be separate. We've been called, we've been called to be holy. To be holy. Remember, what Remember what Jesus, our Lord, Jesus said. our Lord said. 
We're in the world, we're in the world but, we're not, but we're not of the world. Of the world. He said the he world, said the hates, world us hates us because we've been, we've chosen, been chosen out, out of, of the world. The world. The world doesn't, the world hate, doesn't us hate us friends because, friends we, go because we go to church on a Sunday, on a Sunday morning. morning. The world doesn't, the world hate, doesn't us hate us because we, because do, we do good works. Good works. It, hates it hates us because we don't because we align, don't align ourselves, ourselves with the things, with the things it, it holds, holds dear. dear. And that is, and that is a, provocation a provocation to the world. To the world. That is... That is it brings conviction, conviction to the world. To you know what Peter you know said? They malign you because, because you don't get involved, get involved in their flood, flood debauchery. debauchery. Even just Even our just resistance, resistance from engaging, from engaging in the things of the things world will cause the world to hate us. Some Christians, Some Christians go out of their way to be hated by the world. They go out of their way and do street preaching. Nothing wrong with street preaching. I do street preaching. Some Christians go do street preaching and just say controversial things in order to get the world to hate them so that they can legitimize their Christian war. That's not, That's what, we're not what we're called to do. To we do. go and we, we go preach, and we the, preach gospel, the gospel, but it's enough, but it's for, enough us for us just to be separate, separate from, from the world in order for the world to hate us. We don't need to go out of our way to say something offensive. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12 that we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to live lives that are transformed. We were all, we were once, all motivated once motivated by worldly, by worldly desires, desires, but now but our now minds have been renewed by God's by word, God's if, word we're if we're in Christ must and keep must on keep being on renewed. Being renewed. We, don't we don't turn back, back and, conform and conform to the way to the, the way world, world functions. functions. So these scriptures, so these scriptures and, there's more, and there's more, but, but just to be brief, I'll leave you with those ones. These scriptures, they tell us we're not to be friends with the world. We're not to be stained by the world. We're not to conform to the world. We're not to love the world. And I think in that, you have an order. Love for the world is not the first step. Love for the world is the final step in that order. The first step is to become a friend of the world. That means to begin to agree with and affirm the way that the world is driven. Let me put it this way, to start to change your mind, to say, okay, maybe these things are acceptable. Which then Which leads, then to, leads us to us being stained, stained by the world as we start, as we to, start make to make compromises in our own, in our lives, own lives to embrace, to embrace ways. ways. Do you see the you step? step? Do you see the Do difference? See the difference? We, we start to say, okay, that's okay, okay. okay. And then soon and then we start, soon start to be conformed, to be conformed as we get drawn, drawn into, it. into it. And then we start, then we to, start get to get shaped, shaped by, by the, world the world and how the world operates. And this then ends up as a result with us loving the world. The world. Really, going, really after going after the things, after the things of the world, of the world. In, the belief, in the belief that they are, they are good, good and they are, and they are pursuing pursuing as the goal, as the goal of, our lives. of our lives. You do not, you love, do the not love the world by accident. By accident. You don't wake, you don't up, wake one up one morning. morning and say, okay, and say, okay, today, okay today I've decided, decided I'm not going to love, love Jesus, but I'm going to love, gonna love the, world. the world. Love for the love world for the is world a result is a of the step-by-step step process, process, process that, that you have intentionally, intentionally yielded, yielded to. to. Friendship, Friendship compromise, compromise, conformity, conformity and then, and then love. love. Love for the love world, for the is, world is, it's, a it's a result of many, of many decisions, decisions along, the, along way the way to embrace the ways of the world, world rather, rather than to deny, than to deny ourselves, ourselves and be separate, and be separate for, the for the sake of Jesus. Of Jesus. 
So this world, so this world that we're to refrain, refrain from, from loving, loving this, this system, system these, these values, these goals, these goals are, defined are defined by John, by John as the lust, as the of, lust the flesh, of the flesh, the lust of the, the, lust of the eyes, and the pride, the of, pride of life. life. Those, three Those three things together really define really what the world, what the world is. is. That Jesus, that Jesus and the apostles, and the apostles call, each call each one, one of us to be separate from. from. Let me say something about each of those aspects of the world. First of all, the lust of the flesh. When the Bible talks about, talks our, about flesh. our flesh. It's talking, it's about, talking our about our carnal nature. nature. This, is something this is something we're born, we're with, born with, and it's something, and it's something th- that when we're reborn in Christ, we have the power through the Holy Spirit to put to death. That's what the scriptures say. But in the world, the flesh is not put to death. That is not a goal of the world. It's embraced and it's gratified. The desires of the flesh is what drives the world's choices and the world's behavior. In Ephesians 3, Paul talks about how we all used to live that way when we weren't in Christ. Paul says this, he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, all of us, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, Paul says. So to live in the flesh is to carry out the desires of the body and the mind. Listen, we, we've all got natural desires of the body and mind which God has given to us. But God intends us and expects us to fulfill those desires within the boundaries he sets, within the boundaries of godly conduct. But when we're living in the lust of our flesh, these desires are fulfilled without any regard for God's commands. And that's exactly what the world does. It revels as it allows the desires of the flesh to drive conduct. So for example, it's natural. It's a natural desire to want to consume food and drink, right? That's natural. That's God-given. We need to in order to live. God has made us that way. But if we allow ourselves to be ruled by the lust of our flesh... We no longer eat and drink to live, but we eat and drink to satisfy the cravings of our bodies. We indulge ourselves in gluttony. We indulge ourselves in drunkenness. You know, that was the reason that the Apostle Paul said some in Corinth were ill or they died when they were taking the Lord's Supper. Again, that's, that's a really stark scripture in the New Testament. Why? Because they neglected the hungry. And instead, they indulged in their own stomachs. They allowed their flesh to drive them into greed and self-indulgence. And the judgment of God came upon them. Is self-indulgence not one of the primary leisure pursuits of the world? Just look at most city centers these days. They are centers of self-indulgence. With all of the things on offer to satisfy our flesh. They really are a picture of what the world craves. City centers, shopping malls, anywhere like that. Another lust of the flesh, of course, is sexual immorality. Now, again, the desire for intimacy is a God-given desire, but it's given for marriage. Marriage as defined by God. But our flesh lusts after sexual fulfillment without God's covenant of marriage. And again, the world embraces that sexual fulfillment. I don't know if you know, but in the last week or two, the statistics have just come out that for the first time in a lot of years, I can't remember how many years it is, um, people living together with children has dropped 
who, who are married has dropped below 50% in this country. 49% for the first time in a long, long time. Again, it's a picture of what's going on in the world. And our culture tells us that denying your sexual desires is unnatural. And so people are taught from a young age to embrace and indulge in whatever lusts are in their heart and are in their mind. Now again, those desires might be real, but for the Christian, we are called to put those to death by the Spirit, not to embrace them, not to live in them. But the world says to you, and is messaging you with this all of the time, anytime you turn your phone on, anytime you go down the street and you look at the billboard, anytime you watch adverts in between the programs you're watching on TV, it's telling you to indulge yourself. Embrace how you feel, fulfill your sexual desires, do whatever brings you satisfaction. And it suggests to you that to refrain from that is somehow damaging to your very self, your very personhood. And we could go on, but for the sake of brevity, I'll just say that the lust of the flesh simply means to embrace the desires of the body and mind without regard for God and his ways. And that typifies the world. The next one is the lust of the eyes. Now there's a common phrase, which I'm sure you've heard before, which is feast your eyes on this. You heard that phrase, feast your eyes on this. What that phrase is saying is that our eyes have an appetite, and they do. Our eyes can be very hungry. In our carnal form, the eyes lust in a covetous way. They look on what others have, and they begin to desire. They become fixed and driven to possess what somebody else has. And that drives ungodly ambition in our hearts. It drives divisions, it drives jealousy, it drives hatred, it even drives people to act with physical violence, but it begins with embracing the lust of the eyes. But the eyes don't only lust after possessions, they also lust after things which entertain us, things which will give us temporal excitement and a thrill. Often that's in the form of TV shows, movies, content on the internet. And again, the world as a whole embraces those things. We're getting more TV channels, more entertainment, more ready access to immoral and ungodly things all of the time. And the reason that they're there is because there's demand. The supply is meeting the demand because the eyes of the world are hungry to consume because people are looking to satisfy the lust of their hearts. So the world is becoming increasingly steered by these feelings within, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. There's no denial of these things. But you know, King David said in Psalm 119, God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. He prayed for the Lord's help. He knew it was a temptation. Lord, turn my eyes. Let me not look at these things. You come and sovereignly move my eyes from here to there that I might not look upon them. And that's how you and me as Christians should be thinking and that's how we should be praying. But there's no such abstinence in the world. Rather, there's an embracing, there's a love and there's a pursuit of those things. Now the final component that John mentions is the pride of life. As Christians, we are called to live for the glory of God. And what a privilege it is that we're called to live for his glory, that he enables us to partner with him 
in being vessels for his glory on this earth. It amazes me. I'm, I'm awestruck every time I think about that being God's plan. But the world is driven not by the glory of God, but by the glory of self. Whether that's on a big scale, in the pursuit of national power or global recognition in a certain area, or whether that's on a micro scale in terms of just living for the affirmation of the people in our social circles. You know, I talked before about modern cities being a honeypot of self-indulgence. One aspect, or one aspect of that is the number of shops for us to go and spend money on goods, mostly goods that we don't need, but goods that we want, goods that we fancy. Goods that we think, I'm just going to indulge myself in because I've had a hard week. I'm just going to pamper myself and treat myself and, and, and bask in it. That might be to satisfy our, satisfy our flesh, but it's often because of the pride of life. How many people today overspend on clothes and jewelry and cars and houses because they want to be seen? Because they want to flex, as I believe the term is now. I'm getting older, I'm not really up with all the terms, but I've, I've picked up on that one. Because they, they want to impress, because of vanity. How normal has it become for us to have a page on the internet dedicated to ourselves and to present ourselves in such a way that makes people think well of us, that causes a person to click a certain button to affirm that they like what they see. And it's become so common in the world now, and even for Christians to participate in, that to suggest that it might not be an appropriate thing to do is often received with a pushback because we miss the spirit of the age that's behind it. This is the pride of life. It's living to glorify self. It invades every part of the world that we live in. So the world which God says we're not to love, it comprises of these three elements. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's what makes the world go around. Not just the secular world, but also the religions of the world. Is it not true that when you look at man-made religions in the world, there's often money at the center. Often those at the top indulging themselves in luxury, whilst those at the bottom live in poverty. There's often immorality with loopholes made for ungodly sexual conduct with multiple partners or, it's horrific to say it, but even minors in some, sense, in some places. There's, there's pride with mere men being exalted to be godlike figures with a focus on the external, grand buildings, attire, titles, pomp, ceremony, rather than a focus on the condition of the heart and true righteousness. These aspects of the world permeate every area of society and as followers of Jesus, we're not to agree with them, we're not to make compromises to participate in them, we're not to be conformed by them, we're not to have a love in our heart for them. And as we keep looking at verse 16, we see why we're not to love the world. John says, for all that is in the world, not some of what's in the world, notice this, not some, for all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. It is not from your heavenly Father, but it's from the world. What John is saying here is that the drive you feel to embrace your desires, 
and your flesh, that doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the one who gave you salvation. So do not be deceived into thinking that it does. Some will say, if I feel like it, that must be God. If I feel like it, I should embrace it. They say, if I have these desires, I should fulfill them. Because if I have desire, God gave that desire to me. Friends, I hear this over and over and over again. I, I'm at seminary down in Durham, and I hear people going into ordination talking to me like this. Okay? So it's going on within the body of Christ. It grieves my heart to tell you that, but it's true. And the Apostle John is coming and he's saying, no, no, no. Any thought of fulfilling natural desires apart from the boundaries that God set is not from him, but it's from the world. We must run our desires and feelings through the grid of the word of God. He says, the same is true of the lust of the eyes. Again, like, it, it grieves me to say this, but I've had a concerning number of people and an increasing number of people as I've gone through pastoral ministry come to me and tell me how God has promised them great wealth, big houses, big buildings, nice cars, and so on. And the carnal heart covets greater material possessions, and we often find a way to spiritualize it. God's called me to have this, 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 but yeah, okay, yeah, I might use it for the kingdom, but he's, he's promised me all of these things. When am I gonna get all of these things? Why isn't he answering this prayer for this massive house that I want or these multiple cars that I need? What sometimes folks in the church don't realize is that the things they're praying to God for are no different to the things that the ungodly world lives for. We really need to think about it. And John is saying here, those, those lust of the eyes, those desires to have what your neighbor has, to have bigger this and better that, and to not be content with what God's chosen to give you. And by the way, just let me say this, it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have wealth. It's the love of money. It's not having money, it's the love of money. It's the, it's the need to have it that is really the root of evil. But that desire, is, it's not from God. And John is saying, don't pretend it is, because it isn't. And the same goes for the, the pride of life, the need to project self, the need to make a name for oneself, to make a mark as a person of influence, someone who's known. And again, churches often find a way to wrap these things up in spiritual language. It isn't from God, it's from the world. And the thing that we must know about the world, from where these desires come, is that the world is ruled by Satan. It's ruled by the devil. In John 16, 11, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Satan rules the systems of the world, the system of the world, I should say. Everything you see which is driven by the, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is from Satan. It isn't neutral. It's not in a no man's land between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. It's from the kingdom of darkness. It's from Satan himself. And because the world is ruled by Satan and because it's rooted in sin, it's under the judgment of God. And that's the second reason that John gives us as to why we must not love the world. He says in verse 17, for the world is passing away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
That's a really important thing for us to know. Because when you look at the world, which you've lived in for however many decades, some of us, maybe a few more than others, it doesn't look like it's passing away. You know, the rich seem to be getting richer, the poor seem to be getting poorer. Often those who store up wealth for themselves seem to prosper. People indulge in their sexual desires, and it seems on the surface without much recompense. And you might just be tempted to think to yourself, well, if this is how things are, and if this is how things have always been in my life, why don't I just join in? Why don't I just throw my lot in and get involved? Why don't I just allow my flesh to have its way? Why don't I just let my eyes gaze on what is ungodly and allow myself to be entertained by stuff which excites me in the moment? Why don't I just give up on the fight to live like Jesus and instead start serving my self and fulfilling all of the things that I've dreamed of and, and that my flesh desires and craves? And that is, let me, if you've ever felt like that, let me just tell you, that is a very real temptation for every single one of us. It's a temptation for me. I put my hand up to that and I'll confess that to you now. But John says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give up the fight. Don't give up the fight of faith. Because even though it might not look this way on the surface, in this moment, the truth is that the world is indeed passing away, and the world is going to pass away before you know it. In a blink of the eye, it's going to be gone. The world is under the judgment of God. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says the world is condemned, but John says the one who does the will of God abides forever. That one is not judged. That one is not condemned. That one may suffer a measure of loss in this life but will gain an eternal reward in a short time. And friends, that reward will be worth the cost. That reward will be worth the denial. That reward will be worth the sacrifice. When we boil all of this down, what the Lord is reminding us today is that the life of faith is a life of continual self-denial. Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. Not just one time when we made a decision, but daily and follow him. The cross is a dying to oneself. That means completely turning away from the desires and the goals that drive the rest of mankind to walk on a completely different path. Our lives shouldn't look anything like the lives of people who don't know Jesus. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you aren't tempted to gratify your flesh. It doesn't mean that you aren't tempted to covet or to look at ungodly things. It doesn't mean that you're not tempted to enhance your own glory. But it does mean that by God's Spirit, you're to willfully, actively, and intentionally put those desires to death by His grace, by His power. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the conclusion here is that we need to reflect upon 
whether that active spiritual fight exists within us. Do we know what it is to hate the things of the world as John defines them, as Jesus defines them, as James and Paul define them? Do we know the reality of that fight of faith against these things? Or is our Christianity one where we made a decision for Jesus a long time ago, but as time has passed, we've mixed in love for the world with a, some kind of a form of shallow, dare I say, dead religion? As I said at the start, this, this letter of John's, it both comforts and it convicts. It gives both assurance to those who are in Christ and it brings warning to those who are sleepwalking on a path of destruction. God's will for every single person in this room, bar none, is that we would be set apart. His will for every one of us is that we would be holy. His will for each of us is that we would receive his grace and by his spirit, we would walk as he's walked. If the Holy Spirit is comforting you today as you hear these things and you say, you know what, I know the reality of that fight. I don't always get it right, I mess up. But I know that by his spirit, I'm seeking to put to death the deeds of the body. Rejoice today, give thanks today because that is evidence of him living within you. And if you don't feel like that and you hear what I'm saying and you receive conviction in your heart that actually I'm, I'm not fighting that fight of faith, actually my life just looks the same as my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. I'm, I'm going after those things, I'm lusting after those things. If, if you feel that in your heart, give the Lord thanks because through his love he's convicting you because he wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from that bondage. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have righteousness. He wants you to have joy. Either way, all of us need to make the decision not to live for this moment and the things of the world, but to live for eternity and the things of heaven. It is not an easy path. It's a really hard path, but it's a path that leads to life just going to pray in a moment, um, but I just want to say that um, I'm aware some of the things I've said may have cut, may have convicted, may have spoken to you. There might be things that I've said that um, you're struggling to make sense of them. If that's the case, come and speak to somebody at the end, uh, or come and be prayed for. Stuart and Jennifer are going to be here on the prayer ministry team. Uh, they would love to pray for you. Um, Come and speak to me if you want afterwards or speak to Andy or Keith or Paul or one of the leadership team and we'd be happy to minister to you and, and, and speak to you. Uh, but for now, before we sing our last song, we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask the Lord to come and speak to each one of us. Okay, let's bow our hearts. Father, it's, um, it's overwhelming to me that you have weaved your plan of salvation that we have. Your ways are so far above our ways that you would choose us to be in your body, that you would choose us to glorify you in our lives, 
that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. Thank you, Father, that Jesus said that it was better for him to go, that he might send a helper to us, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and to guide us in the ways of God, to give us the power to put to death all of the deeds of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I pray, Lord, that you would deliver each one of us from all of those things. Lord, our, our deepest desire is to be set apart for you. Our deepest desire is to reflect you. In the same way the moon reflects the sun, we want to reflect our Savior, the Son of God. Forgive us, Lord, for when we haven't. Forgive us for when we've fallen short. Thank you that we can approach your throne knowing that Jesus is interceding for us. Thank you that we can come to you knowing that we'll receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Thank you that as we confess our sin, you wash us and you cleanse us and you deliver us. We pray that by your spirit, you would continually, continually enable us to deny ourselves and live for you. Pray that your word would speak today. We pray that it wouldn't be snatched away. Lord, that it wouldn't fall on a hard heart but each of our hearts would be soft and we would hear what you're saying to us. And I pray that we would be yielded to the leadership of the Spirit in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name.